welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and other experts in the food and beverage industry about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. Last week on July 7th, people around the world celebrated International Chocolate Day, which is also marked as Chocolate Ice Cream Day in the U.S., Now, neither of these days should be confused with National Bittersweet Chocolate Day, which is January 10th, Chocolate Souffle Day on February 28th, Chocolate Mousse Day on May 2nd, National Chocolate Chip Day on May 15th, or even Chocolate Eclair Day, which is June 22nd. And on the off chance you miss all of those days this year and need a specific excuse to eat chocolate, you have another chance to celebrate the ingredient on October 18th, which is National Chocolate Cupcake Day. So, lots to keep track of, I know. But my point is, Americans have many, many official opportunities to indulge in chocolate and even more unofficial everyday opportunities to eat it. And they are. Based on data from market research firm Packaged Facts, in the 12 months leading up to April 2014, sales of everyday chocolate climbed 3.8%, to $8.5 billion, and sales of premium chocolate climbed 4.8% to $1.8 billion. To find out what exactly is capturing consumers' attention in the increasingly crowded and popular chocolate category, I caught up with Whitney Bembenik, who is the Research and Development Manager for Endangered Species Chocolate. Whitney walked me through the top-selling and emerging flavors in chocolate as well as consumers' desire for dark chocolate versus milk chocolate, what inclusions they want, their shifting preferences for different textures, and also their changing views on when and how to enjoy chocolate. Plus, she shared her predictions for the industry in the next five years. But to get the ball rolling, she told me about Endangered Species' newest dark chocolate with caramel and sea salt bar which debuted in January and is dubbed the Eagle Bar, since it has a photo of an eagle on the wrapper. Whitney also explained how the company created the bar and why it's a prime example of some of the major trends that are influencing chocolate production now. With this bar in particular, like you said, it's a it's a 60% dark chocolate and it's filled with organic caramel and we've added just a little bit of pink Himalaya salt in there. So it's a really nice balance. Um, but what, we, just because we thought it was about a nice balance didn't mean that everyone else was going to think that it was too. Um, with this specific one, we were looking at the brown flavor phenomenon and that's kind of like You know, everyone in the office knows I'm always like, brown flavors, brown flavors, brown flavors. But um, it's just amazing. If you look at the products that are selling and doing well, they all can fit into a brown flavor category. So you're talking about nuts. uh, You're talking about caramels, toffees, anything that you can think of that fits into that brown flavor that's what's going right to the top first. Add a little sea salt to it. It might even be going a little bit higher. Um, and so that's where the concept came from. And really, chocolate and caramel is an all-American classic. So we thought, if we're going to do it, let's make sure we do it well. Um, and we sent that through a third-party sensory panel um, out in San Francisco. And the results came back you know, just how we had hoped for to say, hey, this actually exceeds our expectations. This product um, is way better than we thought it was going to be. It, I think something like 9 out of 10 consumers said they would definitely buy the bar. You know, if they found it on the shelf, they would definitely buy it. Um, and with like a 95% 
probability or certainty, we thought that this was going to end up in our top three. And within seven months of being on the shelf, this is definitely one of our top three flavors. So um, that's kind of what we did for this particular bar. Not every, not every product goes through that cer special certain process, but um, we do variations of it. You mentioned that this was in your top three. What are the other flavors up that high? Our other two flavors, now number one for a long, long time now, has been our 88% dark chocolate. That's the one with the panther on it. We always call it the panther bar. Um, and it's our darkest cacao percentage. But it is very smooth. And I contribute that really to, number one, we've talked about sourcing, um, where we take care in sourcing quality ingredients, and then also through the process that we send it through. We take time to make that chocolate. Um, it's not a quick process from roasting to conking. Um, we, we make sure that we give plenty of maturity to the chocolate bar. And I think that is what really helps result in a very smooth profile. You will lose a little bit of the bitterness that you typically see. Now, again, we are from Cote d'Ivoire, so in comparison to maybe a South American bean, um, we're automatically going to be a little less acidic, a little less bitter. But uh, it's been, it has been our number one for many, many years now. Number two is the Albar. It's 72% uh, dark chocolate with Redmond's Real Salt and almonds. So um, there you go, brown flavor, almond, <laughs> with a little bit of sea salt. Um, that was launched back in, I think, 2011, 2012, and, and it didn't take too long for it to get to the top. So I'm seeing, even with just such a small sampling here of these top three, there's obviously the brown flavors that you mentioned, but they're also all dark chocolate. Can you talk about what, what's going on with dark versus milk? Well, I think if you look back a couple of years ago, what was resonating at the time was, I can eat dark chocolate because it's heart healthy. That's generic idea, generic statement. Then typical consumers, they start to get a little more educated. Okay, it's because there's healthy antioxidants in dark chocolate. And now we're here in the present day, and it's specifically um, anthocyanins and proanthocyanin are the specific antioxidants or the flavonoids that are in our dark chocolate. And I have to be over 70% to really get the benefit out of a serving of chocolate of, of that antioxidant power. Um, so it's this evolution of education of the consumer that you're seeing people go to a darker and darker profile. But you still have that conventional consumer who is trying to make the switch. They are been, they've been really used to sweet chocolate that's got other stuff in it usually. Um, and they're not quite ready to go into like an 88% like our Panther Bar. So um, what we've been trying to do is give a lot of offerings to stair-step into darker chocolate. So we brought out a 60%, um, and that 60% chocolate was flavored with, uh, we have a lemon poppy seed, a cinnamon cayenne cherry, and a blackberry sage. So what we did with that was just say, okay, these people are used to maybe getting a little bit sweeter profile, but they want a dark chocolate because they want the healthier benefit of it. Let's give them a way to enter into the category. And that's worked. Those consumers love that bar, or if they maybe want to take a step up to some of our 72% cocoa, they'll go up to a 72%. Um, so that's the evolution I think you've seen. And I always like to relate it to coffee drinkers. So you start drinking coffee and probably put a lot of cream and sugar 
in your coffee, and that would be the equivalence of a milk chocolate bar. And then maybe you take a little bit of the sugar out, or maybe you stop adding the cream and just add the sugar. That's when you're starting to enter into the early stages of dark chocolate. And then eventually, you know, you get up to <laughs> my parents' age, I guess you would say, um, and you just drink it black. You don't want anything in your coffee. You just want it straight, and that's that really dark chocolate. The other thing I see here is sea salt in two of your top three, and it seems like Himalayan pink salt is showing up at a lot of food shows recently. Uh-huh. What's driving this consumer interest in sea salt, and what does it do for a chocolate bar? Well, I think that there's a lot of uh, drivers for the sea salt, right? Because salty and sweet is not a new combination. That's been around for a long time, and we know that that's pleasing to the palate. But you are seeing in a lot of the culinary world different salts being used. So people are appreciating the cleanliness of a salt or they're appreciating maybe um, a bolder profile or a specific like a gray salt or a black salt or a smoked salt. And all of a sudden this kind of gourmet cuisine of using specific gourmet salts is becoming more prevalent. And that's now carrying over into the confectionery world just like any other trend can. Um, And it works really well with the chocolate. So people that like that balance of salty and sweet are going to gravitate to any kind of a salted chocolate. And I do think that like with the pink Himalaya salt, we specifically source from Himalaya salt. Um, It is a very sustainable, organic, ethically sourced salt. They claim to be the purest salt on earth and it makes a difference. So when you, especially with caramel, that balance of just that little delicate lacy salt in there really helps bring out the profile of the whole experience. Um, I think that it acts as a cleanser almost at the end of your palate so that then when you go back for a second bite, you experience everything over again. You get the chocolate first, the the fruit forwardness of the chocolate. Then you get the butteriness of the caramel. And then you finish with that little hint of salt. The other thing I heard you mention was this use of herbals and spices. I think you mentioned Mm -hmm. cayenne and sage. And these to me are not something I would automatically associate with chocolate. Can -hmm. you talk about how they're being used in confections now and what's driving that trend? Absolutely. Well, I think this trend of spices originates out of just exposure to new ethnicity foods. So different ethnic foods that we're getting to taste more of um, from local and gourmet restaurants, that's sparking the interest. Um, you kind of see the beverage industry start teetering around with a little bit and some of like the gourmet sodas and alcoholic beverages that are using some of these herbs and spices when you go into you know, um, a little bit more higher end of a a cocktail or bartender, um, they're going to serve you something that maybe has that earthiness to it. Now you're starting to see it roll over into some of the more of the mainstream foods, especially in confectionery. Um, Now it's a delicate balance. I think in confectionery you can overdo it. If you add too much or you don't pair it with the right thing, then it just is either flat or overbearing and and it's not an enjoyable ride. But if you do do it right, so I'll use as an example, um, the blackberry sage bar that I mentioned. Blackberry is really a a ripe, hard flavor to get to come through chocolate because it's inherently in the chocolate, so it gets lost. Um, When you add sage at the right level and at the right usage, and, you know, it's just a dried sage um, that's domestically sourced here in the United States, 
that sage kind of creates a footprint so that you can detect the blackberry. Um, and if you think like a recipe that would use a blackberry sage type dressing on a piece of pork, that all, oh, okay, I could see that working. Well, now you're just putting it into chocolate. Um, so it's translatable. Again, with like the cinnamon, cayenne, and cherry, that's a roller coaster ride. The cinnamon kind of warms up the palate. The cayenne starts to bring some heat. And then the tartness and sweetness of the cherry finishes it off so that you're left with a pleasant taste versus a burning heat that you need you know, to drink something to get rid of. Um, so I, again, I, I see it continuing to build because of all the ethnic cuisines that are emerging um, as more popular cuisines in the, in the U.S., but, but it's got to be done with balance. You also mentioned almonds, and I'm wondering if we can talk a bit about inclusions. I think a recent packaged facts report found that inclusions were really resonating with consumers. They were looking for nuts and berries and dried fruits. What are you seeing in that space? Oh, man, protein. Protein, protein. So any kind of nut, if you can put a nut in it, then uh, a consumer is going to find it. <laughs> it is definitely, I would say, and almonds do well in chocolate, um, both from a stability perspective and a flavor perspective. But um, I think that original drive for looking for protein in everything you eat, consumers looking for protein, and it's not just, just anything that they consume, that has carried over to now having an affliction for almonds, pecans, peanuts even, um, and that's got to be the top inclusion. You know, there was a big push of kind of the um, superfruit uh, inclusions a few years ago, but that's a hard thing to really get to come through chocolate. When just putting dried fruit in chocolate sometimes isn't enough in terms of a palate pleaser. Um, so... The, but the almonds have been able to do well. And like we just talked about, when you put some sea salt in it, it balances out the profile, it balances out the taste, and now you're left wanting another piece and you are left wanting to go back and buy another bar next time you go to the store. Obviously, inclusions also change the texture of chocolate. Mm -hmm. What are you seeing in terms of you know, smoothness or the inclusion of nibs? or What's going on with texture right now? Um, you know, we talked about millennials a little bit and their their exposure to expecting more from everything, and that goes for taste and texture as well. So um, they expect a sensory overload when they eat something and it, for it to be memorable, and texture is one of the greatest ways to grab attention because even subconsciously we pick up on different things. And you mentioned nibs. We have um, two bars actually that have cacao, cacao nibs in them, um, because they do add a great crunch to our chocolate. Um, but I think what you're going to continue to see is this thin trend. So you actually notice the inclusion and the texture of the inclusion itself more than the medium that you're putting it in. So uh, whether it is a nut that's crunchy or if it's a fruit that's chewy or maybe both of them combined, that textural experience is going to be what the focus is, and that snap of something thin um, is going to just kind of highlight it versus maybe if you look back years ago where the real thick um, chocolate bars or chocolate bark that has inclusions somewhere in it, but you don't really catch them until you get to the middle. We've covered spices. We've covered inclusions. We've covered the beans. What other trends are you seeing emerging in the chocolate industry? 
Um, well, I just mentioned thin. I think that going thin is in. <laughs> um, and and big companies are already starting to do that. So when you see companies like Oreo making Oreo thins, um, it's probably going to be something that people look for, or they've at least figured out that's what people are going to want. Um, so that's definitely one trend, and I contribute that to maybe the new version of portion control. Like 100 calorie packs are kind of out, so what's the next version of it? Well, well maybe maybe this thin trend because you can eat more for less calories. Um, and then secondly, grab and go. Anything that's convenient, anything that's resealable, anything that fits into day, into today's lifestyle. Um, the busy mom that needs to grab something to take to the ball diamond as a snack, or uh, you know the college student that just wants something to munch on as they're going in between classes. That's what is going to be the next, you know, popular vehicle um, that the consumers are looking for in the in the chocolate category. I think in terms of flavors, um, brown is still in, uh, and I, and that's in part to just the compliment that it pays to chocolate that goes well, as well as the protein trend of of all these nuts um, that people are looking for in their chocolate. And I also think that we talked a little bit about ethnicity and, and kind of ethnic flavors emerging. I think seeing more spices and ingredients that haven't traditionally been used in chocolate, that's going to start coming up as, as well. Um, will it be maybe a huge trend, a macro trend that everybody's doing? Mm, probably not. But the adventurous brands and, and some of the um, more specialty type bars, I think, will start using some of these things like turmeric. Um, in their bar. Another trend that I've noticed, um, when we have dinner parties, it used to be that we would bring cookies or cakes, but now people are showing up with these premium chocolate bars. Is this a larger trend? And if so, what do you think is driving that? And how will it shape how chocolate is sold? Yeah, it's definitely a larger trend. I think that's in part to uh, it being a healthier option. You know, it's a lot more satisfying to break off a square or two or three of chocolate off of a bar. It also feels a little bit more elegant than picking up a brownie or a cookie. Um, and I also think that you have more options available now, and that's got this more prestigious feel when you've been able to find something that's so unique or handcrafted um, or single originally sourced. So I think it'll continue to build because those are all, those are all things that we as consumers look for and are driven by. Um, so what that allows for brands, whether you be in the specialty, the natural, or the conventional market, is to maybe dabble with some of these new trends and concepts and flavors. That's where people are going to explore different flavors and also have a higher end product. So just because you've been a value brand provider um, doesn't mean that maybe you couldn't do a single origin that would be a higher price point because the consumer now is going to be willing to, to purchase that because it's a, a more coveted item. It also creates a conversation piece, which is nice. You can sit around, I'm assuming, assuming with your friends, that you you know try different types and talk about the different um, aspects of the chocolate that you are picking up on, very similar to what we've, we've always done with wine. Um, and chocolate actually has many, many, many more flavor compounds than what uh, wine does. So, um, you know, that could be the evolution of tasting chocolate is this appreciation for origin and year and varietal and so forth. And I'm curious if you can look into your crystal ball 
and tell me what we can expect in the next five years. Five years in the chocolate world, the chocolate category. Um, I think you're going to continue to see companies trying to outdo each other to be the most fair trade or the most organic. Um, What kind of level or layer can you add from a certification perspective to have that one up on the other brand? And you're going to continue to see that happen because conventional brands are getting these certifications. It's no different than what happened three years ago with Rainforest Alliance. Rainforest Alliance was kind of the going standard in the natural category for chocolate. Well, then companies that are a lot bigger, like Hershey and Mars, started being able to obtain this Rainforest Alliance chocolate, and it kind of degraded their certification in the natural consumer's eyes. So it was, well, what's the next step? What's the next level? How do we differentiate ourselves from what that conventional brand is? So I think you're going to continue to see brands trying to outdo each other, but you're also going to see the lines blur more, and there's going to be a lot less points of differentiation from one brand to the next because everybody is getting to the highest standard. Um, I think from a perspective of flavor trends, you're going to continue to see exploration. That's never going to end because we as consumers are explorers. We want to go on a journey when we um, indulge in something like chocolate, specifically like chocolate. But you never are going to get away from those tried and true traditional products because at the same time you're indulging, if you have a little nostalgia, a memory of your childhood, a memory of a moment in your life that brings back good feelings when you're consuming that product, and that's what chocolate does for you. Chocolate can make you feel good, um, whether it's from, if you want to say, the antioxidant power of, of the cocoa content or if it's just the memories and the experience. Um, so you're just going to continue to see that push in the next five years of how far do you take a traditional item before it's no longer traditional. This is a good question and one that we likely won't have an answer to immediately. But in the meantime, chocolate lovers and manufacturers no doubt will have fun exploring these trends and watching how the category continues to evolve in coming years. Please join me next week when we switch gears to look at the sales impact of ethical label claims and cause marketing on food and beverage products across categories. Until then, I'm Elizabeth Crawford signing off for Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. 